Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today I'm talking about the philosophy of life and how it develops with a little twist of Mennonite style. I'm talking to Meg Hepner. She's a fellow podcaster, mother, and wife. Meg, welcome. So I want to get like a bit of a history lesson from you. Can you do that? I literally looked up Mennonites today because like, I don't know much about that. Truthfully, I would be so happy to educate you on my people. Yes. Like, what do you believe in? What has your experience been? Why do you connect with that? Or not connect with that? (laughs) Yeah. Or not connect with that. Totally. All of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mennonites are sort of a religion and sort of a culture. It's a little bit of a mix. Mennonites don't even technically know what they are, but we started because there was the Catholic church And Mennonites decided that there were certain things that they did not agree with. Actually, there was a gentleman named Menno Simons, hence Mennonites, Menno Simons, who went, there are things that I don't agree with. Some of that was child baptism and he was very pacifist and different things like that, that he was just like, there's a different way to do religion. And people started to follow him. And then he obviously grew this group of people who wanted to live a certain way and they began to be persecuted, obviously, right? You stand out for being a little bit different. So you get persecuted. And so they moved from Holland to Poland, to Germany, to Russia, to Canada, to Mexico, to South America. So now there's Mennonites all over the world. But the thing that is sort of our defining kind of belief system is in pacifism and is in the fact that you need to be baptized as a child because we are obviously it's a Christian group. And so those are the two things that really, really differentiate us. And also this idea that we should somehow stand out from society. We should not just sort of try to fit in. And so Mennonites dress very differently. They have their own language. They try to sort of stay separate from the regular community. And so they sort of set themselves apart and they're not very, they're lovely people, but they're not super welcoming. Sorry, Mennonites that are listening to this. (laughs) But yeah, like it's a beautiful group of people, super hardworking, super integrity-based, super diligent and resourceful and, and all that kind of good stuff. So I love all of that about being a Mennonite. Like that's, there have a lot of pride in that. But then there's that side that is very closed off, very us against them very Christian and and that's the side that I'm sort of like slowly stepping back from and going maybe not so much that side (laughs) yeah that's really interesting and I'm also I'm wondering when did you start questioning that you know what's fascinating it's like when you're a fish you don't know water's wet right and so for me obviously I grew up in this environment where this was the right way of living like I went to a church where men sat on one side of the 
church. Women sat on the other side of the church. You know, women had no voice. There was no music in our church. And that felt really normal to me. The only thing that I started very, very young to go, wait a minute, was this idea that God loves you very, very, very much. And if you don't do what he says, he'll throw you into hell, (laughs) which was kind of like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And so for me, I was kind of this little kid who like in Sunday school class would go like, but like, that's not very loving, is it? And then be told like, you just don't understand. God's ways are higher than yours. Like you just don't understand. And so like a part of me secretly was always like, there's something wrong here with this interpretation of what God is. But I went from being like super conservative and I do what did what most people do. You swing to the other side. So I went total prosperity gospel. Like God wants good for you. Hallelujah. Hashtag blast. I was like totally into that. And then all of a sudden I realized, whoa, this is just moving furniture around. You're in the same house, but you're just moving furniture around. So I actually only started questioning it all when I was 35. So I was, you bought in for a long time. Totally, totally one foot in and one foot out always, but it was only, well, maybe 32 now that I'm kind of, I'm trying to look back a little bit, but, but around that age in my early thirties, I'm in my early forties. Now I went, oh, this is not sitting right anymore. I need to look at this differently. And it was a lot of like, when I have two teenage boys, I have a 16 year old and a 14 year old. And it was when you start to teach those same stories to your children that you go, wait, but I think this is bullshit. I would not say that I gave up on religion. I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I just realized how humans had bastardized it. You know what I mean? And gone the, this religion will be my weapon, not this religion will be a beautiful thing that gives us an ethical and moral foundation for how to treat people and how to be like, you know, this, this beautiful, you know, example and how to love other people. And no, 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 it's, this is going to be a weapon. I wouldn't say I'm not a Christian. I would say I am a religionless Christian. Or I would call myself a Christian atheist. Like I don't have this, like God is this in my mind, but I love, love, love the way that like the Old Testament and New Testament point out how to live like with integrity and with love. And, and the thing that I admire about the Jewish culture so much is that it incorporates its prophets into its scriptures. And it's one of the only religions that has its own critique built in. Right. So like you have all these books of the Old Testament that are like, here's how you live. And then you have these other books of the Old Testament going, and here's why that's bullshit. (laughs) Lots of questioning. Lots of questioning. And so there's like this inner struggle, which I, I simply adore. And so I still am so fascinated. Like if you look like two whole, well, actually three shelves of my bookcase are all religion because I love religion so much, but the unbastardized version of it, like that, that real beautiful side of it gets me going. Why has it become so divisive? You know what? Everyone wants to be right, right? Like as human beings, we want to know what we know. If you look at any other format of ideology, it's all divisive, Republican or Democrat. You know, if you're a Republican, don't you dare get caught with a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, don't you dare get caught with a Republican. I'm not American, I'm Canadian, but I'm watching you guys. (laughs) I'm watching You know, anytime you go, I'm right. And I know I'm right. You start to get divisive and then you throw religion in there, which 
religion answers the fear we have of what's next. Like after we die, what happens? You desperately want to soothe that fear. And so then we go, oh, this happens. Like there's the pearly gates and Peter meets you and Jesus gives you a high five and you know all this kind of stuff. And we're like, oh, good. Now I don't have to fear death because I know what's going to happen. And then if someone comes up to you and goes, yeah, but you don't really know that. We go, you're wrong. You're bad. Oh, obviously you're going to hell because you don't believe what I believe, right? Because it soothes this fear for us. So I think that's why religion very specifically can be so divisive and people can fight so hard about it. But I think it's true of all ideologies, you know, that we want everyone to agree with us or you're the enemy. That's a really interesting take on it. I also, I heard your husband define pain. Do you know what his acronym for that is? He said, please accept inner nudgings. I was curious, like, what is your spirit nudging you towards right now? Great question. It's funny. I have a quote on my wall by J.R.R. Tolkien, and it says, what punishments of God are not gifts? And it's this reminder to constantly go into the pain, constantly go into the pain. And right now, like, I mean, I grew up in a super dysfunctional family. Pain is not a stranger to me. (laughs) Suffering is not a stranger. I've been there. But right now, I'm experiencing the pain that I didn't understand, even if people had told me, and that's the pain of letting my children go. My son is 16, and he's starting to become his own man. And I put on a really brave face, but it is extremely painful. So for any moms listening, you know, that feeling of having your heart ripped out of your chest and to really say to yourself, yes, I can let this go. I can, you know, this, this child that I've loved and nurtured and cared for my whole entire life or his whole entire life can now make his own decisions. I would say that's really painful. And I've also had to come to terms with the fact that a part of me has a God complex in this idea that I'm right. And I know, and I've really had to let that go. That has been very painful to me. I'm, I'm, I have to confess that me and my son were very similar. We always go like, but we know, like we're intelligent, we're smart, we're well-read, we know. And then we constantly have to look at each other and go like, but we don't know, like there's so much more out there to learn. And actually facing my God complex has been a very difficult experience for me. Very, very difficult because it throws you into the land of uncertainty. So on a relational level, it's letting my son go on a personal level it's dealing with the fact that I will never know all the answers and how frustrating that is to me because I hate it (laughs) that is so relatable do you want your son to have his own path my higher self does (laughs) but then my ego self is like let me just take care of you forever I don't care if you're the 30 year old man that still lives with his mommy it'll be fun (laughs) it's cute I'm just like, I just want you to be my boy forever. And realizing that that's not possible is painful. I cannot tell you how many times I've called my mom in the last six months and gone, mom, you were right. I'm sorry. I was a terrible teenager. I now understand. Shoot. I had no idea what she was going through when she let me go. I just kept thinking, why are you trying to control me? (laughs) Now I'm like, oh, you were in the process of like ripping your heart out of your chest and letting it walk in the streets. Like, yeah, of course you were having a hard time with it. Wow. Talk to me about that dysfunction that you mentioned. You said that you are first generation, right? Where are your parents from? 
Yeah, my parents are from Mexico. They grew up in poverty, et cetera, et cetera. They came to Canada. I'm the first child born in Canada. They had th my three brothers were all born in Mexico. Historically, to go back to Mennonites, historically Mennonites are not super educated. They're becoming educated now, but they weren't. They had very basic kind of education. And so my parents came from poverty and from a lack of education. And so there was no concept of loving yourself, your higher self, the greater, you know, truth behind things and acknowledging someone's fears and needs. There was none of that stuff. There was just trauma triggered by trauma, triggered by trauma, triggered by trauma. Right. And that's kind of how they survived. Like my grandparents were very dysfunctional. And so my, of course my parents were very dysfunctional. And so my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was just one of those people that was really tough and didn't really give us that softer side necessarily more so now, but, but not then because I was the youngest, I think I always just sort of felt like I was either ignored or being massively punished. Those were my two worlds. So it was either neglect or punishment, not consequences, punishment. And so that sort of felt like, like my whole life, unless I sort of escaped with my friends or I escaped into my own inner world. And so I tried to leave my home super early, both mentally, emotionally, and physically. I tried to kind of get out of town as quickly as I possibly could. And it's such a sad thing. And I don't know if everyone does it. I'm about the same age now as my mom was when I was trying to leave home. And I realized I didn't know anything about what she was going through. Like I literally was just thinking of my own needs, my own desires, my own wants. I realized I never saw her as a person. I just saw her as mom. And now being the age that she was, I look at all the different things happening in my life and I go, I do so much more than raise kids. I have a husband. I, you know, have financial obligations, financial commitments. I have work. I have opportunities. I have all this stuff. My life is so complex. It's not just raising kids, but my kids just see me as mom. And I realized I did not give her enough space and enough room and enough respect for everything she was experiencing. I just had all these high expectations of what she was supposed to be. And I've called her so often in the last six months and just gone like, Hey mom, like, I just didn't know. I didn't know what you were dealing with. I didn't know you were dealing with your own trauma. I didn't know you were dealing with your own triggers. I didn't know you were dealing with this like I knew that dad was an alcoholic, but I didn't know what it was like to be married to a man, you know, who was experiencing these things and the emotional toll it took on you. Like I had none of those things. All I went is you're either punishing me or you're neglecting me, you know? And yeah, looking back, I'm like, oh, if only I could go back now and just say like, mom, you're doing the best that you can. You're a good person. So sorry for everything you're going through, you know, but it's too late. And I regret that. I wish I could go back. And let her know, you know, that she was doing a good job. She was doing the best she could. Well, that's amazing that you've been able to call her lately and have those conversations. I'm sure she really appreciates it. Yeah. Yeah. She's sweet. She laughs it off. She's like, oh yeah, whatever. I'm like, oh, you're such a tough cookie. Let me look at you in the eye and tell you, I understand. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> She's a tough cookie. <laughs> On another podcast, heard you say that when you had children, you really shifted. Yeah. Can you talk about that? For sure. You know, I was one of those people, and I'm sure this is like many women. I was kind of brought up to be a good girl who did everything right, who sacrificed. And then like we talked about religion, right? You put religion on top of being a woman, being a good woman and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was all just about sacrifice, 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 no boundaries, no boundaries, say yes to everything. 
And on the outside, people would have gone, Mag, you're so lovely. But on the inside, I was like this ugly little monster that was just like, I hate everyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you have this exterior life and then you have your interior life. And sometimes those don't match if you're sort of pretending to be something that you're not. When I had my son, when I had Roan, I remember looking at him in the hospital and he was so perfect. He really was the cutest baby you've ever seen. He was so perfect, not, not biased at all. <laughs> Just literally the cutest baby you'd ever seen. And I remember looking at him going, I hope he knows how absolutely precious, perfect, lovely, and wonderful he is. And then the thought hit me, do you know that about yourself? Because you were once that. And I went, holy crap. And then I started this sort of self-love journey where I started to go like, wait a minute, I was once that. And I have this beautiful love for this baby who's innocent. When did I stop viewing myself that way? You know, when did I start to say you're guilty? You're bad. You're wrong. You're too much. Like I would never say this about this child. He's 16 now. He's almost 17. I would still never say it about him. I would still say you're beautiful and precious and wonderful and good. So when did I stop talking to myself like that? And when did I become my own accuser, my own abuser, my own accuser, the whole works. And that really started me on this journey of, I have to be what I want him to be, which is sort of accepting and loving of himself. And that did not come easy. I would say that was a real struggle. It actually took until my second son was born two years later, Harrison was born with autism and Harrison, it doesn't do anything but accept himself. Like he will not put on a fake face for anyone. He is authentically himself all the time because he doesn't know how to put on a mask. Like you and I know how to put on a mask. You walk in a room, you can put on the appropriate mask. Everyone in the room can love you. You walk out, you take the mask off. You're yourself again. Harrison has no idea how to do that. He is only himself. And watching him be only himself took me to that next level of self-love, which is complete and utter acceptance of my good side, but also my bad side. And then from there I went, oh, I have a tiny grasp on this. And so I could really start the journey even more so after that. It's an ever evolving thing. With having a son that is able to have no mask, how has that changed you? Did you You ever try to change him? I'm very, very lucky. From the dysfunction of my family came a very accepting attitude because my family was so messed up. We very easily accepted anyone else. Like my family, I mean, I have a history of uncles who were drug dealers or there's lots of divorce or one of my uncles accidentally ran someone over one. Like I have so much crap in my history of what my family has been through that my parents were always super, super accepting of anyone. Like I remember being a kid and you know, my mom having people in our house that were struggling or whatever. And she's like, Nope, we have to make room for them. We have to make room for them. And so that was a really beautiful thing about how I grew up. And so the minute he was diagnosed, I remember crying. I, it was a 40 drive, 40 minute drive home from the appointment. He wasn't there. They, they called me in to say, we're going to give you his diagnosis. I'd already done all the testing. I cried for 40 minutes. I cried the whole way home. And then I remember once we drove up onto the driveway, I turned to my husband and I said, that's it. We've cried. We're done from now on we are this child's biggest advocate. Like that's it. We we're 100% behind him. And if anyone hurts him, I'll kill them. <laughs> that was, my, that was my, my mama bear coming out. And so we announced it to my family, et cetera, et cetera. And we just said, if anyone feels like this is some sort of disadvantage, you can keep your opinions to yourself. I don't need you to kind of give that vibe to Harrison. He's a blessing. He's wonderful. He's lovely just the way he is. And I really became that 
I, I think I, I feel like I took up the mantle of my mom and like became an advocate for what the world would consider an underdog. And so I've never, I've never wanted him to be anything but what he is, but he has been such a gift because watching him look at how the world works and go, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Mom, that's not real. Like, you know, like, cause he can see it. He goes, yeah, but that's not what's really happening. And to have him point those things out, everyone needs a Harrison in their life. Everyone needs that someone that goes, these stories people tell us that we have to follow these things that people ha- tell us we have to do, like, you know, get a house and, and get an education and get a marriage and like, and, and then you'll be this perfect person, you'll have arrived. He calls bullshit on all of that. He's like, none of those things make sense. And so to me, I'm able to look at them instead of just buying into them to look at them from his worldview and go, kid, you know what? You're right. That doesn't make sense. Why do we do that? Why have we been convinced that we should all behave like this or we shouldn't talk about this or this is taboo? Cause he'll bring up anything taboo. Like there's no subject that he's not like, I should mention this in public <laughs> much to my many, many experiences of embarrassment, <laughs> but then to go like, nope, the world needs to make room for him. So I need to make room for him. So take that embarrassment and get rid of it because you know, this is real. This is, this is what this child needs. It's a gift. I would wish everyone a Harrison in their life. That's amazing. How did you know to get him tested? Great question. He could read before he could talk, which was bizarre. So he would pick up a book and read it out loud. And then I would say to him, Hey, Harrison, you want some lunch? What would you like? Nothing like complete blank. And it was like, okay, what's going on? Right. Or I would ask him a question like Harrison, tell me what your favorite color is. And he would say, I go to bed at seven o'clock at seven o'clock. I go to bed. You sing me three songs. When I go to bed, I like those three songs. I don't like the fourth song because you don't sing it well. So I don't like that song. Did you know that the sky is blue? The sky is blue. There's stars in the sky. My blanket is blue. My blanket has stars. And from that, I figured out his favorite color was blue. But that's how his mind worked. Like he, he would take you on the journey of associations. And so you were like, what the heck? So he could read, but he couldn't talk. And when he finally did talk, he would answer. And for some reason, I just got it. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you're saying. Your favorite color is blue. And he'd be like, yep. And I'm like, oh, but the way your mind came to that answer, because he would talk it out was really different. And also he, he didn't see any purpose for his dad. He had no purpose for his dad. I would say like, I would hold up dolls. I'd be like, which doll is this? The mom doll, which doll is this? The brother doll, which is this? This is me. Who's this? No use for the dad doll. No use for the grandparent. Like he just, he couldn't have cared less about people or what they were to him. He was just mine. It was just me and him connected. So there was this, this connection between the two of us that wasn't normal. I could tell it wasn't normal, so to speak, that there was something different about this connection that he thought he was me and I was him for a lot longer than a normal baby does, right? Because a normal baby thinks, oh, I'm my mother. My mother is me up until about six months, a year, maybe a year and a half kind of dependent. No, Harrison thought he was me and I was him for a lot longer. And I can ask him now, what's your first memory? And he goes, this is what he'll say. He'll say, mom, my first moment of consciousness was I was sitting in the living room in our brown house and I looked up at the wall and I noticed that there was a T on the wall. And that was when I realized I am a person. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) But like he can remember the first moment that he had consciousness until that moment he thought I was him and he was I, like every baby does. 
I'm also interested in like what other things that he calls out. That is really interesting. Like what he calls bullshit on. You know what? He's so funny because he calls BS on a lot of relationships that he goes, um, but why? But why? Like, why, why are you communicating like that with each other? He call he anything that's a lie, he'll call out. Like if you know how we have social niceties where it's like, well, you know, we say this because we're, you know, we're being nice or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't have any social niceties. If he doesn't feel it, he doesn't do it. And so some of those things that we do that really we're not being authentic in is things that he goes, well, you shouldn't ask that unless you care. You shouldn't say those things unless you mean it. You know what I mean? And so that's really interesting because it's fascinating to walk around throughout the day and put on that sort of facade we all put on to have to communicate and him to go, but you didn't mean that. Does he say that to you? Does he call you out? Oh, all the time. Like the other day I was on a, I was doing this event and I got off and he goes, too bad you didn't enjoy that. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, you were your fake enthusiastic. You weren't your real enthusiastic. And I'm like, I said, do you think everyone knew that? He goes, no, but I knew. <laughs> and I'm just like, you, you little monkey. But he, he can hear things and see things that the rest of us don't necessarily hear and see. I'm also interested in what has that been like for your other son? You know, that's a great question. They're close. Roan is a huge advocate for Harrison. Like he will not be friends with people that won't accept that. Right. He's always happy to have his brother along. I think sometimes there's a disconnect because it's never easy. Do you know what I mean? Like there's always this kind of questioning. There's always this kind of, you know, like if you were to go out for coffee with someone and you could just do the social niceties, there's a part of you, you can switch off and just kind of play the game and then walk out and whatever. Right. But if you're never allowed to do that, if you're always, well, why, well, how come, well, what, right. It, it gets tiring. And I think that's something that he feels. I think he goes, it's not easy. It's worth it. It's fun, but it's not easy. And sometimes I think he would like easy. <laughs> I, I mean, think wouldn't would, we all? Right? Yeah. So, I mean, has that been hard for you socially? No, for me, it hasn't been because I really like authentic people and it helps to make sure people are authentic. Like he's, he's an authenticator, <laughs> so to speak. Oh yeah. That weeds people out quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if people have these messed up ideas about any type of, you know, different way of being in the world, I can smell that now a mile away. And then it's like, great. You know what? We're not really interested in developing long-term friendships with you. I mean, if you want us to, you know, help educate you on what it's like and, you know, open your mind to it, that's fantastic. But I'm not going to necessarily take the time. And and this is going to sound a little bit cold and I have to apologize, but I'm not going to take the time to be friends with someone, you know, who sees that as a disability or sees that as a disadvantage or, you know, oh, poor you for the, mm, no, you got to see it as a gift. If you don't see it as a gift, then our mindsets are too far apart to, you know what I mean? That sounds a little bit harsh. I know, but, no, but, but it's real. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to take a lot of time to baby someone who goes, Oh, I feel so bad that you have this. Like, no, sorry. And then it's like, is there something wrong with me? No, there's nothing wrong with you. The world needs to expand to accept someone like you, not you need to mold yourself to, to fit into the world. You know, and if, if you're going to expect that someone, you know, is going to have to mold themselves to fit in with you, then we're not right for each other. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I'm wondering because I feel like the education system actually has a hard time rising to the occasion. Yeah. We actually do something here called direct learning. So we do half at home and half at a school because of that, because Harrison is very, very, very bright and he can memorize like that. So like work schoolwork, if he wants it to be, can be very easy for him. So he can kind of breeze through it sometimes. And then what's left to do in class. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And then sometimes the school system is like, well, then he can just you know, read or he can do this. And I'm like, he's a boy. Like, no, like it's not going to work. So we, we figured it out by doing a half and half kind of a version, which has worked really well for us. Wow. When did you start doing that? When he was in the fourth grade, we, we moved across, well, halfway across country. And then when we got to the new province that we live in, we immediately started doing that because we're like, may as well set it up the way we want to start. Because here's the thing. It would be super easy to go this school system. You know what I mean? And get all, they're trying their best, man. They're not, it's not an easy job. You have so much bureaucracy and so many kids with needs and so many expectations. Like it's tough for them, you know? And I'm like, I'm not going to be one of those moms that comes and makes it harder. I'm going to tell you, this is how I'm going to do it. And let's work together to make it easy for you guys. Cause you know, they're doing their best. I definitely have a huge heart for the school system. Like, are they doing it right? No. Are they trying to do it right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We all are. We're all trying to do it right. You know, and if I, my needs are different than what you can supply, then it's my responsibility to figure that out and get myself what I need. Okay. That's really amazing of you. And I give you a lot of credit for that. I know you and your husband have been together since high school too. Oh, I met my husband when I was 13 years old and I went home and I wrote in my diary today, I met the man I'm going to marry. And then I wrote, but I'll date a few other guys first. (laughs) I don't know who was on my list that I had to date before I was going to marry my husband, but apparently I must've had a list. The moment I saw him, it was like the heavens opened and the angels sang and I was smitten. He was perfectly handsome. He was had a sparkle in his eye that told me he had a sense of humor. He was incredibly intelligent. He was very challenging. And I was just like, this is, this is my guy. This is, this is my man. And it just took him a long time to figure it out because he's five years older than me. So I was 13 (laughs) and he was like, you are a child in my home. And I was like, no, I am your future wife. So it took us a little bit of time before we could actually end up together. My kids are always like, that's so gross. You were 13. I'm like, we didn't start dating until later. I was, you know, I was well into becoming a, you know, a young adult by the time we started dating. I knew from the moment I saw him, he was going to be mine. We've been married. It's going to be 22 years. We've been together since I was 16. So however many years that is. Yeah. No, I've spent most of my life with him. So I think I'll keep him. I've decided. (laughs) Wow. That's really beautiful. And I'm sure you guys have grown up so much together. I thought it was really interesting too, that you did a podcast episode together. And I have to say, I felt a little heat there. There was some realness (laughs) in that episode. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's there. (laughs) I mean, I felt like I was eavesdropping on like a real conversation in your house. Yeah. My husband is just like Harrison. He will never bullshit you ever. How has that helped you grow? Because you're an introvert. How has that helped you come out of your shell? Because I grew up in a messed up family. I kind of felt this pressure to find perfect. 
Like I, I needed to find perfect. I wanted to, you know, to be put together. I wanted to sound intelligent. I wanted to, you know, cause I was trying to make up for this thing I thought was wrong with me. Right. You know, like when you're a kid and he just was never going to be that guy that was going to be like, perfect. You know, like in a lot of ways, he's very similar to Harrison where like his ideas are always different than everybody else's the way he like, and this is what I adore of. This is my favorite thing about him. If you hand a hundred people, a bunch of information, most of them would put it together in a way that you can predict. Right. James never will. He surprises me every time. I'm always like, how did you think of that? Like Frick, like I would never have thought like, so to me, I love that. And part of that though is exposing information that most of us would keep hidden, right? Because if you're going to come up with something new, you're going to have to share something that's a little bit different. And to me, I, I, I love that. I say this all the time. When I was little, I wanted to be a nun when I grew up, which is hilarious considering Mennonites being Catholic. And I'm like, I should go back to being a Catholic. And uh, I wanted to be a nun and I wanted to do good. And I wanted to be perfect. Like the nuns were perfect. And James is all about like the, the grit and the dirt and the realness of life. And that has taken me out of my pie in the sky thinking into what does life really look like? <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Do you have conversations with God and what does that look like? I believe in a Christ consciousness that you can have a communication with. And it's like being in communication, I think with your higher self, it's not like a voice that you hear, you know, like, Hey God, it's me again, Margaret, you know, whatever it's, like, <laughs> you know, the book, right. But it is this idea of throwing out a question and then waiting for the response to come back. And if that response feels like a thunk in the chest, then I feel like, yeah, that's the Christ consciousness talking to me. And the thunk in the chest isn't bliss. It isn't like, you know, some people are like, oh, when you bliss out, you know, you're, you're with the divine. And I'm like, no, sometimes Christ consciousness tells me you're being a little bitch and you need to go figure it out. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it calls me on my shit. It doesn't always say bliss out and just, you know, love the universe. Sometimes it says you go need to go do hard things. So I'm not this believer in like the divine always makes me feel good, but it's the thunk of truth. And I'm like, it's oh. funny because I feel like my dad does that for me. Like he's yeah. willing to like tell me when I am completely off. He tells it to me straight. What else I would like to know is when have you felt like you weren't able to have that conversation? Like God was missing or that consciousness was missing. Like you weren't able to get through and you're like, ah. It's an interesting thing. There's a couple of things in my belief system. One, I believe when I cannot feel God, that's when I'm closest to him because in my religion, in, in Christianity, when Jesus died, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I am closest to Christ when I feel forsaken by God. That is when we are connected the most. So when I feel nothing, I remind myself, this is the nothingness where I meet God. When I don't feel the connection, I remind myself, this is exactly where he finds me. God is so gracious that the pain brings you close to him, that in the moments of pain, that's when you're bonded. When you don't hear him, don't worry. He's experiencing it with you. It's just like mother Teresa, right? For the last half of her life, she went, I have no connection with God whatsoever. I hear him never. And so I know he's with me. When you don't feel him, don't worry. He's there because he's in your pain. He's experiencing it with you. I hope that you experience pain. 
because it's in pain that you're going to finally find love. You know, it's in pain that you're finally going to redeem the hurts and the trauma and the triggers in this world into something really beautiful. And in that is God in you transmuting this painful thing into something beautiful. You will find you're doing God's work, whoever you are. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious, if you believe, if you don't believe when you take pain, you process it through yourself and you send it out into as something beautiful from you, then you have literally done the work of God. And, and you might feel dark and alone and sad during that time, but that's when he's the closest to you going, you know what, you're doing my work. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Yeah. Wow. You know, I feel like your self-care journey really in some ways started early. And the fact that when you had children, you already started to feel like that, I feel like is such a blessing. And look how much it's matured till now. Yeah. When I look back at my old belief systems, I'm like, oh, that's cute. Like, look at, look at little Meg there, you know, thinking she had it all together with all her little, you know, whatever. I'm like, that's adorable. And I'm sure when I hit 60, I'll look back at 40 year old Meg and go, oh, look at little Meg thinking she had it all together with her belief systems. Cause it's such a process. It's such a journey, but I'm so grateful for it. And it's been, it's been so beautiful. Did you see my daughter just creep in there? She brought me. Do you see this? Tacos. Oh, goodness. oh, can I have some? Can you throw some can through? She the have some? Can she have some? Oh, one for you, one for me. Oh, Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, did you make those tacos? Uh, no, my dad did. Oh, my word. You're going to help eat them, though, I'm sure. I already ate mine. You already ate yours. That's amazing. Hey, listen, are you 13? No. How old are you? I'm almost 11. You're almost 11? Meg has three brothers. I do have three brothers. Do you know what that's like? Yeah, I have three brothers. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough life, hey? (laughs) You know what, actually? Your mom and I were just talking about what it takes to grow. And you know who made me grow the most? My brothers. My brothers were huge because they would learn all this stuff and then they would turn around and they would teach it to me. So even though I was way younger than them, I like sucked their smarts out of their brains so that I was even smarter. So really, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I'm the baby in the family, but I'm also the smartest. So like use your brothers as resources. Have you gotten anything good from your brothers? Mm, not really. <laughs> I mean... I have an older brother and then I have two younger brothers. Oh, so be careful. Your brothers don't suck your brains out and get all smart. You gotta, you gotta keep that woman's intuition all to yourself. (laughs) probably does that. Your brother is smart. (laughs) You could even learn from him, even though he's younger, maybe be like, wait, how did you get me to do that? (laughs) Well, I liked the math homework. So I guess I did it for him like that. (laughs) You're a smart cookie. I like that. Only one year apart in school. So he has the advantage. She's like, oh, I liked that. I'll do it for you too. I like your honesty. First of all, I like your honesty. I will tell you something, my dear, the minute numbers come in front of my eyes, my brain goes blank. It's like, I don't understand like anything. My son is 14. And if we're at a store and it says 10% off, I'm like, um, how much is that then kids? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know numbers. So I'm very proud of you for enjoying numbers and, and liking that. Good for you. Do they ever say to you, this is something my brother said to me, they would say, don't cry. Don't be so emotional. Do they ever say that to you? 
Well, if I do cry, they probably just laugh at me. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the funny thing. This is what happened to me. Let me tell you. My brothers were like the typical guys, right? They were like, they didn't cry, whatever, blah, 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 blah. They wanted me to be really logical. And so I thought I had to grow up to be really logical. So I stopped crying. I stopped feeling my emotions. I stopped kind of like, you know, sometimes you just know something, you kind of have it in your gut. Like you're just like, I just know this. And I started to shut that little voice down. I started to go, no, I should be logical. And my logic says blah, 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 blah. And it took me years before I could get that back. And so I always said, if there's one thing I could, I would do, if I could go back, I would tell my brothers crying is actually a really good thing and it should be totally okay for me to cry. And guess what? My feelings matter and I don't have to be logical like you guys. So if ever they tell you be logical, remember this, especially for your years coming up, my dear, (laughs) because you got some years coming up. If they ever say, just be logical. Don't have so many emotions. Be like, actually emotions are healthy and they keep me connected to my intuitive self. So no, I will have as many emotions and I will cry as much as I like. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, that is so true. Before I came up here, I actually like said um, when I just told you like he shouldn't have to wait until he moves out to like do whatever he wants. That's he just does not care. Did that feel good though? Um, I say it a lot. He doesn't <laughs> listen, so I don't, I don't know. What to say, <laughs> Keep saying it. That's what you should do. Keep saying it. Remember, if you're if you're the sister, you're the wisest one. Okay, I'm picking you out. I'm gonna wrap up. Love you. It was nice to meet you. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Oh my God. She is like, seriously, like she's precious. She is an absolute doll and so well-spoken. Like that's ridiculous. She's 11. I honestly thought she was 13. Like she's so well-spoken and so articulate and can like say what she thinks. I'm like, oh, smart look. You're so sweet. I love yeah, that. that. I thought that was really cool too, since you all were both, you know, had three brothers. I was like, you can totally <laughs> relate to her on that. Yep. 100%. No, she's smart. I like her. She's a cutie. Oh, well, <laughs> this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for being willing to talk about religion and beliefs and all of that. Cause I not know, I know that not everyone will do that. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. I like all those taboo things that nobody's supposed to talk about. I, th- that's the fun stuff. <laughs> Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about? Oh my word. That's such an interesting question. No, I found our conversation was just fun. I don't know if there's anything that I would necessarily say that you missed. I I've just loved every moment of it. Yeah. I should have maybe thought of that, but no, I think we're good. (laughs) Okay, cool. And is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? I would love to ask your dad what he believes will happen when we die. This is the question I've been wrestling with because nobody knows for sure. What do you think will happen when we're gone from this earth? And why do you think we came to earth in the first place? Okay. So promote away, talk about your podcast and your husband's podcast, the one that builds you up. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I so appreciate it. Um, If people are interested, I do have a podcast. It's called the art of being human. 
you can look it up. It's on Spotify, Buzzsprout and Apple podcasts. I would love to have you. Anyone as a listener, we talk about all of the big life questions. How did I become the person that I am? How do I live in this world to be a beneficial presence? Why, why do I tell myself these things, et cetera, et cetera. We dive into all of it. I have lots of interesting guests. I've had you as a guest um, and it's always been fascinating and, and absolutely lovely. So yeah, absolutely check us out. My husband has an amazing podcast called weekly wins and losses. And it's all about just looking at life and going, what can I glean from my life experiences instead of just going, Oh, life is shit. And I give up, but like, there is so much gold in your everyday experience and how to just extract that. He's, he's incredible. So if you don't listen to mine, go listen to his (laughs) 100%. And then if you're ever interested in connecting, look me up on Facebook. It's the only social media that I'm on because I'm a 40 year old mom. Apparently that's where all the moms hang out. According to my kids, this was at the right time and such a wonderful message. Like I feel like I really needed it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I honestly, I just love the connection I have with you. I think you're a fabulous human being. So I'm so glad we got to do this. (laughs) Thank you. And I can't wait to hear what my daddy has to say. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. What a very interesting interview with Megan. It's almost like it even starts off where she's part of an offshoot Christianity. Mennonite. Isn't that where they decided that part of the religion that they were studying, there were certain rules or observances, as well as observations that they didn't like, and they decided to go their own way or rebel to some degree or want to be independent and be able to voice their own culture. Even in our own Jewish faith, there's all different observance levels and rules and interpretations and questioning of everything. It's almost like if you put three rabbis in one room, you might get four or five different answers or opinions where they don't even agree on the same interpretation of the entire Torah or the entire uh, Bible. Very interesting how Megan also then, because she uh, learned from an early age that her own religion is an offshoot questioning thing, that she also saw that if you're not educated and you just follow people's rules, even an offshoot of the original philosophy, he also then started to question even the offshoot. Really fascinating how she is able to or has an understanding of people, seeing how screwed up things can be and how directionless things can be, and yet at the same time, seeing also that there is a that there are rules. There is boundaries. There is things that we need to follow in order to be able to progress and to continue motivating ourselves to continue to want to develop and learn. And she calls it her consciousness. But really, the fact is, is that she questions things and and really searches deep down in her consciousness. And really, my opinion, because you already know that I'm able to communicate through dreams and I get messages from the Almighty, but it's not just me. She's getting them, too. And what God has done to her is give her a master's degree in patience and understanding. And she's able to understand some of the beginnings. As you know, she has a much better relationship with her mother now, where she couldn't really understand her when she was young. And it's unfortunate because we all want to have healthy children and we all want them to be able to be better than us. And yet she has developed this tolerance and patience where she wants authenticity 
from an early age herself, and she has a child that shows no maths, no mirrors. That's a special needs child that can be actually brilliant, but also has certain tendencies that most of us don't have. And she sees the best and the good in it. And she sees uh, an uncovering of something where her patience is going to pay off because she's able to foresee things that other people don't see. Like I said, it's my opinion that she's blessed where God has given her a master's degree, again, in patience and understanding. And now she's taking that knowledge and skill that she has and sharing it with other people that she understands what it is to come from a tough background and where people have deep problems and adversities to overcome and where they've had addictions and all kinds of problems. And yet she's able to see the good in everything as like a building block towards the future. And yet she's on a mission as well to understand where she's come from and to try to continue to make improvements in her life and her family's life with an extremely positive attitude. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and tune in. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 